Hi, I'm Barney Schwenke, the pastor here of Faithway Baptist Church in Leesburg. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to watch this sermon video we're about to show you. My prayer is that God will use this message, along with you being part of a local Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, to help you grow in your walk with the Lord. Trust that the following message will be a blessing to your heart. If you have your Bibles this morning, we are going to be in 2 Timothy. So take them, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, please. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We've been working our way through this book and probably have about seven or eight more weeks left here in 2 Timothy. This is a book that, as we talked about the past few weeks in our introduction here, it's a book that um, was Paul's last letter, his last words that he wrote, we have recorded in the Bible. And it was written to his son in the faith a man that was his disciple Paul was the discipler. He was the one that was the teacher. And Timothy was his uh, son, and we say son of the faith, meaning that he most likely led Timothy to the Lord, or if he didn't personally lead him to Jesus Christ, his grandmother or his mother led him to the Lord. And Paul was very instrumental in helping Timothy grow from a baby in Christ to becoming the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And if you think about what has to take place in a person's life before they can be a pastor, there's a lot of spiritual growth that has to happen. I mean, we're just not going to say, hey, someone wants to be a pastor, so therefore we're going to put our stamp of approval on you, and now you can be a pastor. No, there, there's a lot of training that has to take place. We have to see spiritual growth in your life. You have to be able to lead your family well. And there, there's certain qualifications. In fact, Timothy has, there's some qualifications in the book of 1 Timothy that we have to look at as a pastor when we decide what the, who the pastor is going to be of a church. And so Timothy was a man that obviously we saw in chapter number one, knew that Paul was going to be going to the gallows soon, or he was going to be losing his life in Nero's uh, Colosseum. And Timothy was filled with fear. And yet Paul says, even though you know Timothy, you have tears in your heart and in your eyes, you know I'm going to be going and meeting my, meeting my Savior very soon. You don't have to have fear. In fact, God does not want us to have the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's what we looked at last week. Well, the history that is recorded in the book of Acts, right? You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which give us the life of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts records from AD 33, when Jesus died, he goes up to heaven. Acts chapter number one is the beginning of the church. All the way to Acts chapter 28, we have from AD 33 till about AD 60, give or take a year or two. And it ends, the book of Acts ends with Paul being confined in house arrest in Rome. We believe that Paul was shortly thereafter released from prison and he would travel to Ephesus, Ephesus Macedonia, Crete, Nicopolis, and he would go from Troas where he would be arrested again and then he would go back to Rome where in AD 64, evil emperor Nero, you've heard of him, AD 64, Nero decides he wants to rebuild Rome and so he burns down part of the city. He must have, historians say he probably was crazy, I mean legitimately crazy. And so he burns down part of the city of Rome because he wants to rebuild it. And then what does he do? Well, he turns and he blames the Christians for the fire. And so that blaming of the Christians leads to an incredible period of persecution there in Rome. And it's at this time that we believe Paul was confined uh, to the maritime prison. Now, this is not house arrest. This is not some posh prison somewhere that the elite, the, 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 the people high in, high in society would stay. No. This was a hole in the ground, a sewer basically, and the only food that Paul would have was from friends or relatives that would bring it to him. 
And Paul was left all alone there in Rome, except for, as he writes here in this letter, Dr. Luke. Luke has not forsaken Paul. Luke, the physician, is there. And so, in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, our text this morning, Paul is writing his final letter from this prison just prior to his death, where he will be taken outside of the city of Rome and he will be beheaded for his faith. Now, these, in fact, are the final words that we have of the Apostle Paul. A person's final words. Well, those are something that you may or may not want to pay attention to. You know, I, I just hope that my final words are not, hey guys, watch this. And those are my final words. I hope that's not my final words. I could see it happening, you know, or maybe that'd be my son's final words. But, uh, you know, I hope that's not my final words. Or, or maybe like, what do you say? Get them off of me, you know, so, something like that. I hope that's not the way I go out. Um, but what is in a person's final words? There was a Union officer, his name was General John Sedgwick, during the Civil War. And uh, they were fighting the Battle of the Wilderness. And he decided, in his wisdom, that he was going to climb on top of the fortifications and watch the battle take place down below. The soldiers that were around him pleaded, General, please do not do that. And he rejected their, their advice, and his last words were this. They could not hit an elephant from this dis... And that was it. That was the last thing that he ever said. Scotland's Robert the Bruce said, Now God be with you, my dear children. I have bre bre ate breakfast with you and shall sup with the Lord Jesus Christ. How about those words for final words? Revolutionary war hero Ethan Allen. Remember the Vermont Green Mountain Boys? Well, Ethan Allen was told by his doctors that the angels were waiting for him. And he said, Waiting are they? Waiting are they? Well, let's let them wait. That was his final words. Or then there was scientist Luther Burbank. And Luther Burbank is a California, he and I think he was a botanist. And he was very honest on his final words. His final words were simply this, I don't feel good. Hey, however you go out, all right, hopefully you leave some final words that are worth remembering. Like I said, personally, I hope that my final words aren't, hey guys, watch this. I would rather have my final words be like, Get everybody to safety. I'll hold them off. You know, you guys, that would be a great way to go out. I personally would like that. But this is Timothy's last letter, his second letter to, uh, sorry, Paul's second letter to Timothy. And it's of particular value to us as a church because this is the final letter, the final words from Paul. And Paul is writing to the next generation of leaders. He's saying, this is what I want you to do in the local church. And so, there's a very serious challenge that's in front of us here today. And the title of the message this morning is Portrait of a Servant of God. This is what Paul is saying, Timothy, when you look out at the church and you're going to find people in the ministry that you're going to put into a leadership position, this is what they must look like. And so I want you to understand this morning that the qualifications that I'm going to give you here are not the qualifications of a pastor. These ought to be the qualifications of every single person who is a part of the Faithway Baptist Church family. You're a servant of Jesus Christ. We're here to please him. Only one life, it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so this morning, what does a servant of the Lord look like? Well, Paul's going to give us seven principles here in our text. I want you to take note of them. If you jot them down on a piece of paper, you write them in the margin of your Bible, find some way to write these things down and record them and ask the Lord to make this a part of your life from this week going forward. The first thing I want you to see in our text here today, 1 Timothy chapter number two, verse number one, let's read it together. Paul writes and he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ 
Jesus. The first thing that you must do if you intend to serve God in any capacity is you must learn that the strength from serving him does not originate with you. Now, some people think, well, if I can just get this, sum up this inner strength inside of me, then I am going to get through today. I woke up this morning, I told somebody, I was really tired today, just groggy. And I don't know what it was. I went to bed early last night too. I just woke up and I was just really tired. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to get through today with the Lord's help and a good, strong cup of coffee. You know, I, but it's, it's the Lord and coffee. No, it should only be the Lord, right? It's not the coffee that's going to make the difference. It's Jesus that's going to make the difference. And the problem is if you depend completely on coffee to get you through the day, or you depend upon some other sort of strength to get you through moment by moment, you will fail at times. And then when you fail, what do you do? Sometimes, like Paul was saying in Japan, you have the collective group of people, that collective think, and you may be the type of person that gets energy from being around other people. You might say, well, I, I'm around this person and they encourage me. Well, that's not always going to be the, the case, right? If you find your strength in other people, you will find that other people let you down. And so Paul says, Timothy, be thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, you got to note that word grace there. It's the word in the Greek, charis. You've probably heard it before. And I want you to understand that because that's going to follow us through this message this morning. It's something that has been given to us. Grace is never earned. It's something that is not deserved. It's something good that God does for us in spite of who we are, in spite of what we deserve. Beloved, the word grace describes Jesus Christ. Say, so can you prove that? Absolutely. John 1.14, I want you to look at this verse. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of charis, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ was constantly giving to those around him, whether or not they deserved it, he was giving to them. Beloved, we are saved from our sins because God has given us the gift of salvation despite our sins. He gave it to us because we believed in him. Not because we've earned it, but because of his love for us. And what Paul is saying in verse number one of chapter two, he's saying not only are you saved by grace, yes, we believe that, but you are sustained in life and in ministry through grace. Now, Paul was a picture of God's grace. He was tormented in his life by this thorn. Remember Paul's thorn in the flesh? We've talked about that before. And whatever his thorn in the flesh was, we don't know. Some people say it was really bad eyesight. Some people say Paul was crippled and he walked around with a limp. I don't know. But whatever it was, he had a painful physical affliction that he prayed that God would deliver him from. And in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, Paul said that he asked God, he said unto me, well, he asked the Lord rather, can you remove this thorn? And this was the response of Jesus. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. That word grace, charis, my, my overflowing gift towards you is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul goes on to say, most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, Paul is saying, I would rather have the grace of God and keep this physical pain 
than have this thing removed from my life and no longer have to depend upon God for the strength every day. I hope that's your testimony this morning as well. Maybe some of you are going through this period of prolonged sickness. Maybe there's a need in your life that you go to God all of the time and you're saying, Lord, please take care of this. Lord, if only I could have a child. Lord, if only I could walk again. Lord, if only I could have my health restored. If only my family would get right with you. If only my child would get saved. If only, if only, if only. And we go to God and we say, Lord, take this away. And God says, no, my child, I want you to grow in my grace. I want you to learn that my strength is, is, is sufficient for you. The grace I receive from God allows me to give the grace that I need to other people. I want you to notice Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32. You probably have this verse before. I've quoted it to my kids, uh, I believe, uh, recently. <laughs> and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, remember I told you to hang on to that word charis because it would follow us through this message. The word forgive and forgiving right there, that word forgiving is the Greek word, the Greek verb form of charis. In other words, we ought to give grace. We ought to be kind. That, that's what it, that, that forgiving, we ought to give other people grace as God has graced us. And so what I want you to see in the first verse here, that the servant of God is going to be one who is connected to the grace of God. Not just when he was saved, but he depends upon it every single day. Secondly, look at verse number two. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Servant of the Lord has to have power from God, not himself. Secondly, the servant of the Lord must be faithful. Timothy here in our text has been entrusted, the Bible says very clearly, I have given you things, Timothy, you are the pastor of the church, and now it's time for you to find another Timothy and invest your life in that person. And ladies and gentlemen, at the core of how the church has survived for 2,000 years is this very teaching. I invest my life in somebody else as somebody invested in their life in me. You think about your salvation story. How did you meet Jesus Christ? We could trace your salvation all the way back to a moment in time when you put your faith in Christ. Okay, but somebody had to tell you about Christ and that person told somebody else about Christ all the way back to the time of the apostles. Paul invested in Timothy and he says, Timothy, the same commit thou to faithful men. That is how the church will survive to a next generation of believers. I'm so encouraged on, on Wednesday night, if you haven't been here in a while, we got the, the young teenagers in the sound booth and Jacob is back there teaching them how to run the video and how to run the audio and how to take care of those things. And so we're trying to, if you can't join us on Wednesday because of work obligations or whatnot, we, we're gonna have the live stream. We've been going through some issues and problems with it lately, but we're all back up and running and hopefully very soon, everything will be very smooth. And we're teaching and investing the next generation of our kids. What God is looking for is faithfulness. Paul, notice in verse number two, notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't tell Paul to go out and to, rather Timothy to go find men who have an exciting testimony. What I mean by that is he doesn't say, Timothy, I want you to go find somebody that was the, the druggie in town and they got saved and their life was changed. He doesn't say, go find the Mary Magdalene's who lived the life of sin and they met Jesus and their life has changed. They have a powerful testimony. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Timothy, I want you to go find the handsome men yeah, praise the Lord for that, right? He doesn't say go out and find the gifted speakers, the articulate comedians. 
He doesn't say that. He says, Timothy, go find faithful men. Well, how could Timothy find people he could depend upon? You know, as a pastor, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, I will be at church tomorrow, <laughs> I'd be a millionaire. I'd be able to retire right now. I tell you, I'll talk to people. I'll invite, the people, invite people to church all around Leesburg. Everywhere I go, hey, join us on Sunday morning. We'd love to have you. Please come to church. I'll be there this Sunday. There's one guy I've been after for about 10 years now. And I, every time I see him, I say, Daryl, I got a seat right in the front row that has your nameplate on it. And every Sunday, I dust it off. I'll be there this Sunday. He never shows up. So, Daryl, if you're watching online, you got to be here next Sunday. But one day, I'm praying that he will be there. But, but I have heard so many promises from people about what they intend to do for the Lord. And I guess I'm kind of cynical about commitments at this point. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and he gave them a little story. He told them the story, I'm paraphrasing this morning the story, but for sake of time, but he told the story of a man with two sons, and he told one of his sons, he told the older boy, he said, son, I want you to go out and work in the vineyard today. And the son said to his dad, no, I don't want to go. But later he changed his mind, and he went out and he obeyed his dad, and he went anyway. Then the father, after the first son said, no, I'm not going to go, he went to his other son, and he said, Son, I want you to go out in the field and go work. The son looked at his dad and said, yes, sir, I will go. But he didn't end up going. And then Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said, which one of those two sons obeyed their dad? The Pharisees replied, the first. And then in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus explained the meaning of this parable. He said, verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. How stinging is that? For John came not unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterwards that ye might believe him. Beloved, faithfulness is demonstrated by actually doing something, not just promising that you're going to do it. Now, it's nice that the second son said, yes, dad, I will go and do it. But it was the first son that actually went and did it. So what Jesus is saying, it's the obedience that counts, not the promise to obey. Now, in verses 3 and following here in our text, Paul is going to give us three pictures of what the, the ministry is about, what a servant of Jesus Christ is all about. And he's going to use three pictures. He's going to use a soldier, an athlete, and he's going to use a farmer. Look at verse number 3 in your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Now, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The word endure there in the Greek, it means to suffer, to be afflicted. It means to go through this time in my life in which I don't want to be here, but I am going to make it through by the grace of God. And so can I say this morning, thirdly, that a servant of God should expect trouble. Now, if you were to sign up for the U.S. military, and Matt Zandy recently signed up for the military. Where's Paul? It's good to have Paul with us today. And uh, the Zandys were a part of our church for a long, long time. And uh, Paul has moved to Winchester. Matt's gone. He's in, not San Diego. He's in Ocean, no, California. Monterey. I know he's in California somewhere. He's in Monterey, and he's going through training right now for a year-long period, and then he's going to go serve the country. So if you're like Matt, and you sign up for combat duty, you, you don't sign up for the military and believing that you're not going to experience any pain because boot camp is pain, right? I've been to Paris Island in an air-conditioned SUV getting a tour. I've seen what they've gone through, all right? I know that it's a lot of pain there. And, and Christian, you understand, maybe you did or maybe you didn't when you got saved, but when you signed up to be a Christian, part of the Christian life will be pain. 
And can I say this from personal experience and from watching your lives as well? The more you decide to step up and serve Jesus, the more impact you have on the lives of other people, the more you will suffer. You know why? Because there's an enemy out there that does not want you on the battlefield. And if you're having a hard time in the battle, it doesn't help, it doesn't hurt rather, to take a few moments and rest from the war. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 12, the reason why the, the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 is there, the reason why all those people got through is because of Hebrews chapter 12, verse number two. Look what it says. In the midst of the battle, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, despising the torment that he was going through and is set down at the right hand of God. Notice this, for consider him. Do you realize what the Bible says? When you are going through your moments of difficulty and pain, take a moment and consider him that endured such a contradiction of sinners against himself. He endured such a battle lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And so if you're in the battle, if you're going to be a servant of Jesus Christ, you can expect conflict. How do we survive conflict? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, who is the champion of our faith, who perfects our faith. And the Bible says, if you back up one verse there to verse number two, that Jesus Christ, for the joy that was set before him, there was a joy that was there in his life. What was that joy? He endured the cross because of heaven. And he knew that he was going to be sitting down at the right hand of God the Father. And ladies and gentlemen, we face hostility in this world. We face conflict. And we are oftentimes tempted and weary. And the, 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 the temptation simply is, I'm just going to quit. I'm going to stop coming to church. I'm going to stop reading my Bible and praying every day. It's not done anything for me in the past. It's not doing anything for me right now. I'm done. And I throw in the towel. And when we look at the hostility that is around us and all the insults and the things that sinful people are throwing our way, it can be very discouraging. But I want you to notice what Paul says in verse number four up there in your, on the screen. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him. It says, no man that warreth entangleth himself. The word entangle means to get involved in. It means to interweave. Here's what Jesus or Paul is saying, Timothy, if you get your life as a Christian tangled up in the wrong things, you're going to be in trouble. That is part of the hardship. It can be a hardship to get disentangled from the things of this world. When Matt signs up to fight in the military, when you, many of you have been actually in the military, when you signed up, you have to be all in. You have to make a commitment to follow the United States, the, the, the government of the United States, the president, and all those that are in authority over you. And, and you just don't go to the battlefield for any reason. You go to the battlefield because you want to win. And I'm not saying that, that God, as a Christian, God doesn't want us as Christians to have jobs and raise families and take care of our needs. But there are some things that we can get entangled with, we can get caught up with, with that just are not helpful in the Christian life, which leads us to point number four this morning, portrait of a servant. A servant must learn to travel light. One of the things that I know will entice a young Timothy is the things of this world, the lure of wealth. It can get us off track of what is really truly important. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one, 
Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Sin will certainly get us tangled up. And yet, not all things that entangle the Christian are sin. Sometimes we just have too much baggage. Have you ever said to your wife or your spouse, have you ever said, I'm just so busy. Like, I got all of these things on my calendar and my schedule. I don't have time to mow the grass. I don't have time to do all the basic things because I'm doing all these other things. That's my story this week. And if you go to my house, that's why the grass is long, okay? But it, I just don't know. I haven't had time this week. I'm just really busy. And I'm looking at my schedule and none of those things on my calendar are sin in and of themselves. Like every single meeting that I had or every phone call or every appointment, it, it's all for a purpose. And yet, if we're not careful, look at verse five. And if a man also strive for mastery, he has not crowned, except he strive lawfully. God says there is a way that the Christian is supposed to serve the Lord. And that's what point number five is simply this. As you serve the Lord, a servant must serve the right way. Now, most of you know I'm a baseball fan. Back in 2001, there was a home run competition between Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa as to who was going to be the all-time home run champion. Roger Maris, I think, had 61 home runs, and they and Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa were getting very close, and it was one of those things, they would go back and forth, McGuire, uh, Barry Bonds would hit one, then McGuire, uh, so Sosa would hit one, and, and somehow Mc, Mark McGuire was included in that. And, and back in the early 2000s, there were some new home run records that were absolutely smashed. They were destroyed. But then it came out a few years later, the reason why those home run records were destroyed was because of performance-enhancing drugs that McGuire, Sosa, and Barry Bonds were on. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that records that are broken because of performance-enhancing drugs are legitimate. And, and I, that's just my personal opinion on that. And the reason why is because I don't want kids to grow up thinking that if they break the rules and cheat, they can somehow break records. That's just not a right precedent to set. And what Paul is teaching here in verse number five is that if you're going to serve God, there's a right way to go about serving God. Yeah, there are shortcuts, but those shortcuts, when you stand before Jesus Christ, they're not gonna do any good. You know why? Because God is the judge of all the world and he knows not only what you do, but he knows your thoughts and the intents of your heart. And he will cut right through that and he will see all that fluff and push it out of the way and he will get right down to the reason why you did what you did. In verse number five, Paul is using some um, ancient, the language the ancient Greeks would use in their athletic games, right? The Olympics is going on right now. And what Paul is saying in verse number five is that if you strive for masteries, if you want to win the race, you can't win it without following the rules of the competition. I, the verse is already up there on the screen. Man, he beat me to it. But it says, know ye not that they which run in a race shall, all, or shall run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're in a home run competition, or like Lance Armstrong, remember? He won the Tour de France some crazy amount of times in the late 1990s and early 2000s, but they found out that Lance Armstrong was doping, right? He lost all of his titles. He lost all respect. 
there are ways that you can go about serving the Lord, but you need to make sure that you are doing it God's way. Look at verse number six. The husbandman, that's the, the manager of the property. That's the one that is the farmer. So you got the soldier in verse four. Then you have the, the farmer in verse number six. The farmer that laboreth must first part, be, for, be first partaker of the fruits. What is Paul saying here? All right, first of all, you got the soldier. Don't get yourself entangled with the things of this world. You got a one focus, one mission. It's to beat the enemy. Number two, the soldier, the brother, the farmer must feed his soul first. Now, Paul is not talking here about a pastor receiving benefits for the ministry, like a salary or something about that. What Paul is talking about is the first fruits of God's work. Can I just tell you this morning, if you're going to serve the Lord here at Faithway, whether you're singing, whether you're leading the music, whether you're teaching our children, whether you're setting up for the tables for the pizza meal afterwards, whatever you are doing and serving the Lord here at the church, whether you're cleaning the toilets, whatever the job might be, you understand that you must feed your soul first. Before you can share the things that God is doing in your life, you have to have first tasted and eaten of the things of the Lord yourself. Paul knew himself. He said in verse number, Paul, Paul knew that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He says, for I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. Before Paul could deliver a sermon, he first had to receive it of Jesus Christ. He received something special from the Lord. And that's how he was able to have something to write to the Corinthians. You know, I encourage everybody that serves the Lord at our church, whether you're a musician or whether you teach our children, you need to put practice and effort and energy into doing it. You know why? Because God wants our very best. It's not something that we just throw together at the last minute. No, everything that we want to do at our church, we, we do our best for Jesus Christ. We want to make sure that things are done decently and in, or, in order. But Christian, the most important thing that you can do is not practice your instrument or it's not work on shaking somebody's hand when they come through the door and practice what you're going to say in front of a mirror. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing, Paul says in verse number six, is receiving the first fruit of God's word. Paul received something of the Lord before he ministered to the people of God. And ladies and gentlemen, the question I have for you when we look at verse number or point number six this morning is this. If God wanted to teach you something, could he? If God wanted to teach you something, could he? Sometimes feeding your soul means that you have to sit and listen. In Luke chapter 10, verse number 38, it came to pass as they went that he, Jesus, entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him in her house. And she had a sister named Mary, which sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me alone to serve? Bitter therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Mary did the best thing. She sat at Jesus' feet and she heard the word. You got two sisters, a Mary and a Martha. They're both serving God. Who's the, who's the right one here? And Jesus says, verse number six, he says, make sure as a farmer, you partake of the first fruits, you eat of the fruit yourself. Faithway family, before you come to church on Sunday morning, it's crucial that you spend time with God in his word. If you come to church on Sunday morning and this is the first time you've talked to God all week, it's going to be stone cold silence in your heart. 
my prayer is that you will wake up in the morning and you on the way to church will listen to godly music and you'll have read your Bible and your field will have been plowed, so to speak, and your heart will be tender and it will be open to receive the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice verse number seven, what Paul says. Paul says, consider what I say and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. The word consider there means to think upon. It means to ponder in your heart. And if you notice, that word consider is in the present imperative. And that's the tense of the verb. Present imperative means it's something you need to do right here, right now. And so can I just take Paul's application and say to our church family, present imperative right now, today, this is what you must do. Not my words, but the apostle Paul. Paul says, consider what I say. Then the Lord give the understanding. The understanding there, the word means running together, a flowing together. And so point number seven this morning, a servant of Jesus Christ must continue to learn. Paul is praying that Timothy will not get to a point in his ministry where he becomes stagnant. Some of you grew up in a Christian family and you've been in church all of your life. You went to Awana, you went to maybe even a Christian school, elementary school and high school, some of you. You went to a Christian college where you had chapel a few times a week. And then you would have Bible classes. And some of you may have even gone on and taken seminary classes. And you've gone through and your knowledge of the Bible is very in-depth. You know the Word. But if you're not continuing to pursue knowledge of Jesus Christ in the present imperative, you're going to get cold and you're going to get stagnant in your walk with God. That's what Paul says. That the Lord give the understanding in all things. Paul has written that God would, he hopes Timothy would grow in his understanding of God. Now, in my life, I don't know about you, but I just got this weird filing system in my brain. It's the way I think. That whenever I run across something that I don't understand, I file it away, much to my wife's chagrin sometimes, I file it away in a file in my brain that says, to be figured out later. And I have this file, and throughout my life, I start accumulating things, and then I'll see something, oh, that makes sense. And you know, as I live my life, and the older that I get, I find that I, yeah, I continually add things to that folder, but not as much anymore. And, and as, I, as I learn about Jesus and I study and I follow Jesus, I found that when it comes to questions about God and things that I had in my earlier years, the Lord is slowly but surely beginning to empty out those folders in my mind. Now, I will always have questions and so will you. But I want to remind you what Jesus, what God said rather in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse number three, he said, call unto me. And I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Does God all the time answer those questions that are filed away in my brain? No, he does not. There are times that God does not answer. But you know what God does promise? If you call upon him and you ask him, he will teach you about himself. In John chapter 14, verse number 26, Jesus told his disciples, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, um, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring, to your, bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And so, beloved, can I just encourage you today, whether you've been a Christian for 75 years like Mr. Ryder or you've been a Christian for a year, however you are, wherever you're at in your walk with God, beloved, keep reading the Word. Keep pondering Scripture and God will give you understanding. It's not my promise to you it's Jesus' promise to you. It's God's promise to you. And so this morning, just to recap from First Timothy or Second Timothy chapter number two, a servant of God, which all of you who name the name of Jesus Christ this morning are, 
A servant of God must find power to serve, not from within, but from the Lord. And must not only give that power or give that grace, but receive that grace as well. Secondly, a servant of Jesus Christ must be faithful. If Jesus were to come back right now, if the trumpet were to sound, the roof were to open up, and Jesus were to call us home to be with him, if you were to stand before God right now, would God find you faithful on August 8th, 2021? If you met Jesus today, would he say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? A servant of Jesus Christ, number three, we said, should expect trouble. Do you easily get discouraged when trouble comes your way? Number four, a soldier, a servant of Jesus Christ, must learn to travel light, not getting entangled with the things of this world. Maybe this morning you're here and you know there are needs to serve in our church, and yet you don't want to serve. Can I ask you, what's holding you back from serving Jesus Christ? What's keeping you from being involved and telling your neighbors about the Lord? The servant of Jesus Christ must serve the right way. There are no shortcuts. We talked about that as well. There's no easy, quick way to serve God. It must come from a personal daily walk with the Lord. Number seven, or rather number six, a servant must feed his soul first. You know, I'm thankful today for people in our church that have concern over my soul. And Paula, before I even knew you were going to be here today, I, I, I wrote this in my notes and just made a little note of this. About seven or eight years ago, Paula's husband, Pat and Andy, gave me a book as a pastor, and it was entitled Soul Care. And it was just about the pastor's soul and how the pastor needs to make sure that he spends time in the Word of God. Why did Pat give that to me? Because he was concerned about me. And I'm concerned about you. How are you doing in your walk with God? That book has been a huge blessing in my life. It's not just geared towards pastors, it's geared towards anybody. I highly recommend you can find it on, on I think it's a, a download on Kindle. You can find it, Soul Care. But how are you doing in taking care of your soul? Is there a time every day when you carve out of your busy schedule for God? And then finally, number seven, a servant of Jesus Christ must continue to learn. If God wanted to teach you something this morning, would you be able to receive it? If God were to say to you tomorrow morning, I want to teach you something, where would you learn it? From the word of God. Faithway family, a portrait of a servant is someone who says, Lord, it's not my life, but it's yours. How do you want me to serve you? And if you implement these principles that Paul gave Timothy in your life, you're going to go a long way to the Lord saying to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this example that you gave us of a soldier and of a farmer. And Lord, as a young man, Timothy, who had not arrived in this faith, and none of us have. And the encouragement is to keep learning continually about you. Father, I pray today that every single Christian who is here would ask themselves, am I a true servant of Jesus Christ? Do I portray the characteristics that are found here in this word? Lord, I thank you so much for our church family. Thank you for the servants who are here. Lord, I ask you that every single person who heard the word of God today would receive it with meekness and Lord decide, determine in their heart and their life with your help that they're going to serve you to the best of their abilities through the Holy Spirit's help until you come again. Lord, we thank you so much for what you're going to do. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts and that we would listen. In Jesus' name I pray. Hi, Pastor Barney Schwenke here with you again. Thank you so much for watching uh, the video today and taking time out of your schedule to listen to the Word of God being taught. 
My prayer is that this message will truly help you in your walk with the Lord. I tell our church family all the time, God's will for your life is a daily walk with Him. So if you have a Bible, make sure you read it. If you don't have a Bible, reach out to us here on our website and uh, we will make sure we send one to you. We want to do everything we can to help you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you found the message today to be a blessing and you have the means financially to be able to help us, we definitely would encourage you to do so. It costs money to be able to produce these videos and to be able to put these out there on the internet for you. You can go to our website, faithwaybaptistchurch.com, and in the upper right-hand corner, you can click the word give. And uh, there you can make a donation to the media ministry of our church if you so choose. But hey, we do this for you. We want to be a blessing. And so thank you again for joining us today. Like we said, if there's any way we could be a help or a blessing to you or your family, the contact information is there on our website. Please let us know. We'd love to be able to help you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Have a great day. 